Um, I'm not doing great. <laughs> That's the honest truth. Um, Father, I would love to be doing great. I'd love to stand up here and be doing great. Um, I, I feel like I've got quite a lot to say, and I, I don't think I've done a very good job of editing. So, hope you're psyched for the next hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so we're going to try and get through it. But, uh, but first thing, number one thing, and this is pertinent to the, to the sermon, the Holy Spirit is here, and I'd love us to hold and remember this the whole way through, and it's already been talked about, the Holy Spirit's number one job, number one and primary and most wonderful thing that the Holy Spirit does when he comes, is he reveals the Father to us. He reveals the Father to us. He reveals God to you and to me. That is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. Now, today we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. One more thing before I start. Um, when I say church in this sermon, everyone just say church for me. When I say church, I'm not talking about this building. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. When I say church this evening, everyone just say church. I'm talking about you and me. Just say you and me. Say church is you and me. Church is not the building. I want to be really clear on that. Church is you and me as, as we are in Christ. So that means that at the end of this service, when we all go home, the church is no longer in the middle of Turnham Green. The church is out. It's in Chiswick. It's in Acton. It's in Ealing. It's in Brentford. The church is dispersed. We happen to be gathered in the middle of Turnham Green right now, but the church is not this building. The church is you and it's me. Say you and me. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> On it like Sonic. Great, thank you. So when I say church, that's what I mean. Okay, um, we've jumped into 1 Corinthians 12 here, and it's Paul teaching about the Holy Spirit. More specifically, he's talking about the, ho- the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. Bit of context. In Corinthians at the time, these are, these are very new Christians. It's a new church. Um, it's people who've only been Christians for a year, maximum 18 months. There's lots of them who are literally just been Christians for a, a few weeks, and there's more Christians being added all the time. And they are so excited about the news that they've received, that Jesus has come, and he's died, and he's raised to life again, and he saved them from their sins, so that we can have full and wonderful connection with our Father God, the one true God of the whole universe. That is incredible news, and they are incredibly excited. And at the same time, they're having incredible experiences of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is being poured out on these people. And the gifts, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. (laughs) And the gifts of the Spirit are being poured out powerfully in this place, powerfully in this place, to reveal the Father to them. And the first thing that we need to hear this evening is that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, so just a couple of chapters later, verses 1 to 3, Eagerly, he wants us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit because they are so, so good, these gifts of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit are incredibly good things. There are a couple of things that the Corinthians are doing a little bit wrong when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. They're having experiences of the Spirit. Again, we hear Paul saying, this is so good. I love that. But there are a couple of things that are going wrong. The first thing that's going wrong is that they think that the gifts of the Spirit might be coming from different little gods. So they understand that there's one big God, but 
because they're Greek and Greeks tend to do this thing where they kind of have a God for each emotion, um, they think that maybe the different manifestations of the Spirit and the way that people are experiencing the Holy Spirit mean that it's all like little different gods and different powers that are coming and giving each person different little gifts. So the first thing, really basic, Paul wants to say, that's nonsense. It's one God, he just happens to be able to do multiple things. Okay, it's a God, he made trees, he made hippos. It's not a God of trees and a God of hippos. It's just one God who happened to make trees and hippos. You with me? <laughs> Great. And I get a hallelujah on the hippos. Okay. Uh, good, so one God. Second thing they're getting slightly wrong. They think that the spiritual gifts are mystical. Uh, that they, they're not necessarily to be understand. They're just meant to sort of be experienced. And they're incredible things. Ooh, all this mystery and amazingness. Um, you know, and no, this couldn't possibly be intellectual in any way. They're just experiences. Uh, and Paul corrects them again, and he says, God wants you to think. He gave you a brain. We do not lose our brains at the door when we walk into this building to worship together. We keep our brains with us, and we understand. And actually, the spiritual gifts are intensely practical. Each one of them has a very intentionally practical thing that it, that, 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 that it leads to. Here's what Paul says. He says that the spiritual gifts are given, why? To strengthen, encourage, comfort, and help Christians. Who needs help when you're walking with Jesus? Who needs strength to, to live the way that Jesus taught us to live? Who needs courage to stand up against the way the world says we should live and actually live the way that Jesus told me to live? Who needs comfort for when the enemy comes in and says, actually, that you're not that great? When the enemy comes in and says, actually, there's shame in your life and you should be ashamed of that shame. When the enemy comes in and says you're guilty and you're right to be guilty, who needs comfort? The comfort of the knowledge of the Holy Spirit that he comes and he says, no, 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 you're loved and I've died for that guilt and I've died for that shame. Fully loved, fully known. Who needs comfort? I need comfort. Father, help me. Third thing they get wrong. They don't know how to use the Holy Spirit gifts properly. Imagine this with me for a second. You walk into church one Sunday and before anyone says hello to you, or actually there's no one to say hello to you because you walk in and you just find out that there's 20 people in this place all lying on the ground, spasming, and also screaming, and also speaking languages that you don't understand. And then at some point in the midst of all this bizarreness, someone gets up and says, I'm now going to teach you. And they decide to teach you for an hour and a half in rapid Italian. <laughs> Let's go, John Luca. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, let me just rephrase. <laughs> Paul would say, that's lovely that all that th those things are happening to you. But he also says, it would be helpful if people knew what was going on. It would be helpful if people knew what was going on. So he also challenges the Corinthians. They, they think that like any... They think that like whatever feeling I have that the Holy Spirit's doing, I'm just going to let it express it like crazy. Uh, and so they don't know how to use these spiritual gifts properly. So it's like coming out all the time. There's interruptions for days. People, you know, like literally people would be getting up in the sermon and just saying, oh, I've got a word from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it would just be complete chaos. And they'd be giving all this stuff in tongues. So that means heavenly or other languages uh, that no one can understand without interpretation anyway. So Paul's other concern. I'd love it if people understood 
what was going on, especially for guests who were going to be particularly freaked out if that were to be the case. Uh, make sense? Okay. Fourth one, fourth mistake that the uh, Corinthians made, they didn't make love their aim. They didn't make love their aim. If you have something that is helpful to someone or that they want, you have incredible power over that person. Really random example. Uh, I am sort of oddly into bodybuilding, and I know what you're all thinking. I can tell. So thank you. Uh, but in the bodybuilding online community, uh, there happens to be a huge thing of whether people are taking performance-enhancing drugs or they're doing it naturally, right? And a huge percentage of these you know, Instagram influencers and these ripped guys are, are taking something, right? Because, uh, because even though they've got you know, maybe a great genetics and they look good themselves, it is so tempting when you're getting attention and fame and power over people to enhance that just a little bit, right? And it's very easy. And so that they look just a little bit, you know, it's, like it's not naturally what has been given to them, but they are taking that power. And in the same way, the Corinthians are not making love their aim. They're exploiting people by making them think, yes, I am extremely spiritual and amazing. And they're exaggerating slightly what it is that the Holy Spirit's given them. So the Corinthians might, for example, walk into church one day and they go, oh, hello, Janet. And Janet would go, and everyone would go, oh my goodness, Janet's so spiritual. That's amazing. Janet's an incredible human and Janet feels great about herself, but what Janet has failed to do is make love her aim. And she's just made a slightly confusing and weird thing and hasn't greeted them. And the spiritual gift, which is meant to be a wonderful gift of tongues in order to encourage people and build them up, and as we talked about, strengthen and comfort them and help them, She's just taken for herself and gone, yes, they're going to be very impressed with me. Okay? So that's the four things the Corinthians have failed to do. They failed to make love their aim. When it comes to the spiritual gifts, the first thing you do is make love your aim. Second thing you do is desire them. And if you don't make love your aim, please don't desire them because that would be unhelpful for all of us here. Make sense? Great. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> oh, right. Good, it's very simple. Okay, good, the laughter of agreement. Haven't heard that one before, but good save. Okay, question time. Um, and I, this is, I, I would understand this question. This is why I chose to answer it. Question, why do things get weird? Why do things get weird? And if you have not been a Christian for very long or you've only ever been a Christian at Christchurch, you won't have seen the manifest gifts of the Spirit poured out uh, in, a, in a very noticeable way massive thing, they, they, they are poured out at this church. We do see them at this church. Again, church is not the building. We do see them at this church. We see regularly miracles and supernatural things occur in this place. Words of knowledge, healing, tongues, uh, and spiritual gift of teaching, all of them, all of them actually, are poured out here, and we do see them. Not, we don't necessarily see them in a massively noticeable way. If you've been a Christian for longer, you may well have been in a context where you've seen these gifts poured out in a more manifest, noticeable way. Why do things get weird? I think there are three reasons that things might get weird. And by weird, I just mean not, not the most expected thing 
I don't know if I, any, things might get weird. First thing, reason things might get weird, it's not necessarily all God's spirit, okay? That's the first reason that things might get a little odd. We're also involved, okay? So it's not all God's spirit necessarily, it's also human spirits that are involved in this process, in these gifts. Uh, and in the same way that if you've ever been to a counseling session, you might sort of be lying on your couch and they'll be asking you questions. And they'll ask a question that prompts something quite emotional or, or you know, prompts an emotional experience in you and you begin to cry. And that's a bit weird. That would be weird if you were anyone else, anywhere else. But that's not the counselor's fault. That's just you, right? Who's broken and are being healed and emotion is coming out. So it's a bit weird. Makes sense? It's not the counselor's fault. Holy Spirit's called the Wonderful Counselor. So it's not all God's Spirit, it's also us. That's the first reason things might get weird, and it's allowed to get weird because we are a bit weird and we're all a bit broken. Second thing, reason that it might get weird, it's, it's for your good that it gets weird. Uh, quick story, my dad was uh, around in... West London, uh, 20 odd years ago. And he was, a, he was an assistant minister. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit in a very, a very you know, manifest way, a, a way that many people sort of noticed. And as he was filled with the Holy Spirit, it was at St. Barnabas Kensington. As he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he felt the Holy Spirit say to him, I want you to go to the front of the church, okay? And I want you to pirouette at the front of the church. And my dad, and you know, he said he said he's never, almost never had as clearer, clearer message from the Lord as this message. He said, "That is completely crazy. That is completely nuts, and absolutely no, I am not doing that." And he sat there for about 15 minutes, really intensely being filled with the Holy Spirit, feeling this thing. And uh, and the Holy Spirit said, "You've got to go. You've got to go. I want you to go." And my dad was like, I'm going to look like such an idiot. And the Holy Spirit went, yes, you are. And, and, the, and my dad went, everyone's going to think I'm some sort of weirdo. And the Holy Spirit went, yes, they will. And eventually, eventually he said, okay, either I'm going to do it my way or I'm going to acknowledge that the Lord is the Lord, not just of heaven and earth, but of my life because I've said that. And if he says this, then I have to go. And he went to the front of church and he looked like a complete daft punk and he pirouetted and almost fell over and I'm told, I was very young at the time, that it was very funny and ridiculous, and he sat down again, and he'd done what was obedient in the eyes of the Lord. What was broken in that moment was, what was broken in that moment was his life relying on the way people viewed him. And he was freed from that to live fully for God. Make sense? something a lot of people, a lot of, lot of us live under, what people think of us. Holy Spirit comes to set us free. So second, reason number two, things might get weird because it's for your good. Here's the third reason, uh, and this is a slight challenge, third reason that things might get weird. If we believe what we sing about and what we say that we believe, and the, the one who made the universe and then made us 
and then said that we were his masterpiece in this universe and who therefore knows us deep down into our souls, the caverns of your soul. He knows every single one, every single desire and everything you're supposed to be and can be. And he says that he loves you perfectly and he can encounter, you can encounter him and he sends his Holy Spirit and, he, and the Holy Spirit tells you who he is and you have a connection with him. Would you not expect something to happen in that moment? For something to happen in that moment. Now, I'm not here to speculate what might happen. I'm just saying, are we not expecting something to happen? Because I think something should be happening. We should expect something in that scenario. If what we say is true, then something should happen. It is one of the most incredible anti-evangelism tools that the Church of England has spent decades working on very well is getting Christians into worship spaces, singing incredible words and hearing incredible talks and then walking out without any kind of response or reaction. What does that say to people? If you manage to sing these songs, if you manage to hear these messages and nothing happens in your life, then people will assume, okay, well, they're nice songs and they're nice messages, but they don't mean anything. I'm not massively surprised this country doesn't go to church. Again, church is not the building. I'm not massively surprised that young people aren't in church. I've seen, and I'm not talking about anyone here, but I've seen parents tell their children that Jesus is, loves them and is the king. And their lives look so indistinctly similar to the atheists' families living either side of them that their children are so confused because they rock up to church, their parents rock up to church and they sing songs saying that the Lord is worth my everything. I give my everything. Gold and silver I throw away for the sake of the Lord because what I have this, I have everything. And they go home and their life looks the same, identical to the atheist person living next to them. I'm not massively surprised that the children aren't coming to church. I wouldn't come to church if my parents, possibly, you know, had been like that. Your life should look markedly, noticeably different, having received this message of love and connection with your Father in heaven, than not. Do you start to see why the spiritual gifts need to be poured out? why they need to come, why the Holy Spirit needs to come and reveal to us the Father and reveal to us the truth. Make sense? Starting to make sense? Are we, are we, sort of, are we tracking with me vaguely? Okay, I hope, okay, anyway, we're near the end. What could be, what could be, what, what could happen? I've been in a couple of contexts where the spiritual gifts have literally flowed like water. Where they do what they're intended to do and they've been stewarded and understood well and love has been made the aim and the Holy Spirit has been poured out and they're used properly. And, you know, I love the metaphor. The Bible uses it all the time. The Spirit is like living water being poured out uh, because water just naturally flows. And I have seen been in scenarios where the Holy Spirit gifts have just naturally flowed out of people in churches. Encouragement, wisdom, words of knowledge, words of knowledge about gifts, words of knowledge about 
where forgiveness needs to take place. Words of knowledge about all sorts of things. Healing has been poured out. Impartation of faith has been poured out. Spiritual gifts have been poured out in a very, very significant way, and it is so, so good. I have glimpsed churches where this stuff happens. And if you can imagine for a moment, I have been in, imagine coming to this church and, and for the first time in your week, your soul comes alive in this place. This is the first time, this is the first time in your week, this is the place where your soul comes alive, fully alive for the first time. This is the place where you experience unconditional love. There's lots of love out there, but I'm going to challenge you to find unconditional love out there because 99% of that is I love you up to some sort of point or because I'm getting something in return. And I'm, that's, love is great, but unconditional love is another level. If this is the place where you come in and you experience unconditional love, you could have been to the very depths of hell in what you've done, what you've seen, and you come into this place and you will find unconditional love in this place. That's what church can look like when the Holy Spirit gifts are poured out. That's what the vision is. And, and if you are someone who doesn't think that this is it, who doesn't come to church and say, yes, this is it from now until the year five trillion, then thank you. And that is such a major step. If you rock up to this for an hour and a half, this service, and you don't think this is all there is, then that is step one. Because this is not all there is. We haven't found it. We're not there. It's great what happens here. I'm so grateful. The Lord does incredible things, but it's absolutely not it. Paul says again, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, make love your aim and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And I felt the Holy Spirit as I was talking to this, wanting to me to encourage those of you who have made love your aim and who eagerly desire the spiritual gifts in this place. There's prudence here. Prudence is one of them. If you, I'm, I just felt the Lord saying, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. So thank you if you're one of those people. I'm so grateful. And here's the last thing that can happen. People can be set free. We have a vision of a Jesus who uh, made mountains, mountains and seasons and windswept cliffs, um, cliffs and mighty forests, newborn lambs, infinite oceans. And we have a Jesus who made all that and made you and says, you're the most beautiful thing and I love you. And the reason I've made you is to be in love with me for all eternity. Love is the ultimate thing. The ultimate reason for living is love. I feel like I'm giving a TED talk on the meaning of life. <laughs> but it's true. This is what the Bible's very clear. The ultimate reason for living is to be in connection, loving, perfect, whole connection with the one who made you. Face to face, fully loved, and yet fully known, which is quite a drastic thing because if we're fully known, we're not always that nice. But the Lord says, I will fully know you, and yet I will fully love you. And marriage, 
you know, marriage is awesome. Marriage points to that thing. Marriage points to the way that the Father says he's going to love us. But if you are married, you will know. And if you're not married, then I'm telling you now, marriage will not be the be all and end all of your life. It cannot. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it points to the way that the Father loves us. But it's not enough in of itself. It's not enough. The only thing that will ever be enough is seeing Jesus being fully known, fully loved, and loving him fully. I'm going to read a quote my brother sent me. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. This is him preaching on heaven. He says, um, the streets of gold will have small attraction for us. The harps of the angels will only slightly enchant us compared with the king in the midst of the throne. He it is who shall rivet our gaze, absorb our thoughts, enchain our affection, and move all our sacred passions to their highest pitch of celestial ardor. We shall see Jesus. I imagine he said it something like, we shall see Jesus, because that's how Spurgeon talks. Don't laugh, we Okay, I don't mind you laughing at the jokes, people, but no, I'm joking, it's fine. Um, <laughs> this is the Jesus. This is the Jesus who made mountains for adventure and who, when the mission is done, will run with us through them in perfect love, free of weakness and pain. If you want to know what the mission is, he points it out in Luke 4, 18 to 19. I'm going to quickly read this, and we're right near the end, guys. We're right near the end, so stick with me. Jesus said this when he came. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This news to the poor. This news. This news that you can be connected with your father in love, that the meaning of life is to be connected with this God of love who loves you. People are poor because they have not received, they don't have this knowledge. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. People trapped in their thinking because they think the only thing, the best thing that life has to offer is pleasure or a house or a family or money. And they're trapped because they don't know the freedom it is to know that that is not the answer to life. The answer to life is to be in a loving relationship with their father in heaven. Recovery of sight for the blind, the people who cannot see this, have not been exposed to this truth. And to set the oppressed free. There are so many of us in chains of addiction, living in patterns of fear, that are ensnared by evil and sickness, chained by living for what people think of them. And the Spirit comes to set us free. So are you prepared to give up your vision? This is the first thing. Are you prepared to give up your vision of what your life looks like for the sake of his vision? And secondly, are you, are you prepared to allow yourself to get weird. I'm not saying things have to get weird. I'm just asking, are you prepared 
allow yourself to get weird. Can I pray for the Holy Spirit to come? Great.